Okay, Mr. Mix. One is the loneliest number that you'll ever do. Two can be as bad as one. It's the loneliest number since the number one. No is the saddest experience you'll ever know. Yes, it's the saddest experience you'll ever know. Hello and welcome to Film Club. My name is Megan Anderson and I am joined by Isabel Gander and George Arbett. Hi. This is episode two of our podcast and yeah, we just want to say thank you so much to everyone who's listening because that's really lovely and (laughs) I get really nervous, but that's okay. Yeah. How good's The Exorcist? I hope you all went out and watched it. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, I'm hoping that these episodes will inspire people to visit these films. Yeah. That are that persuasive and convincing that people go, (laughs) I must watch that movie. (laughs) Definitely, definitely. Um, Yeah, yeah, it's really, it's exciting. And so, yeah, if anyone's out there who loves a movie and it's moved them or something made them think differently about the world they live in. Um, We'd love to chat to you about that. But for this week, Isabel Gander has chosen Paul Thomas Anderson's 1999 Magnolia. And now she's going to take it away with introducing that film. All right. So um, we've got Magnolia by Paul Thomas Anderson, and I'm really excited. I'm actually ecstatic to unpack this film with you guys. Um, I don't know where to begin. Um, It was funny. I was watching a Charlie Rose interview with Paul Thomas Anderson, and Charlie Rose was like, explain the film. And he's like, I can't explain this film. I'm not even going to try. And I think... I think this film's, I'm just going to say it, I think this film's a masterpiece. Um, I think it's a flawed and imperfect masterpiece, but that's, that's why I love it as well. I think I'll kind of start talking about that. I just love, I feel that this is really inspired writing and I can almost imagine Paul Thomas Anderson typing on his typewriter and getting so excited by his own ideas and maybe doing some lines of coke and just just following where the ideas would take him. And I think he's such an interesting filmmaker in that he's he was 28 years old, 27, 28 years old when he wrote and directed this film. And I think you can really tell. Like, I think... I feel it's a deeply humanist film and it has a lot of depth and a lot of complexity, but it's the depth and the complexity of a 28 year old. And I think with cinema, we often look towards maybe Bergman or 
Tarkovsky or people with more gravitas or age and they're kind of seen as having wisdom that comes with that and we often disregard younger people and their points of view and I think this film is exciting operatic but so youthful and I think yeah and I, I also think this film is incredibly exciting in that because of the success of Boogie Nights, he was kind of given creative freedom with this film because he was, you know, he was the hottest number on the game. So he wrote this incredibly daring, unconventional piece of writing that I think is incredibly exciting. And I think you can definitely tell that it's very much him. I think it's also a deeply personal film. And, um, yeah, I, I can't wait to hear what you guys thought of this oh, film. Me? Me? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I first watched um, <clears throat> film, like, at an after-school, like, film club we did in high school. And all I remember, really, is it being very long <laughs> and sitting after school looking at my watch going, when's this fucking thing going to end? But... I rewatching it, I like a lot of it kind of came back to me and it it's still probably way too long for what it is, but there's just so there's a lot that's like really enjoyable about just about the experience of watching it. I think the best thing is Tom Cruise and his kind of crazy character. Um what else? Just the I guess for the first two hours um I was pretty pretty like hooked because it's so you know as you said coked up and chaotic and uh there's so many interesting just like cuts and uses of the camera I push you know kind of pan across and then he there's a scene I just remember he like pans across to William H Macy and then the camera kind of tilts and it tilts back and it pushes across just like he's having all these insane enthusiastic ideas and, I, and it's in, incredibly self-indulgent but I like that when you can see filmmakers that are just going all out and are just putting their dick on the table and saying you know check me out this is this is me going for broke uh, I think the whole idea of these different interlocking storylines was kind of of the time or this was the peak it's almost like the peak example of that like just an, an incredibly long complicated um, it cuts to so many different characters, like expression of movies like Happiness or um, a Pulp Fiction, where you have different stories that interlock, and you're not sure quite how until until later on in the film. Yeah, I, I don't know what else. I'll probably have more to say as we go. But Megzi, what did you think? Your first impressions? Mm, I I just finished it, <laughs> everybody. And P.S. It's on Netflix, so. <laughs> Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, okay, so it's still it's still really sinking in for me. Uh, what what a wild ride. Um, hmm. so yeah, I, I love Paul Thomas Anderson's films. I think he's has a special a special touch or something, this PTA <laughs> touch that yeah, is in terms of like world building and the details of the world and the unusual 
way kind of the worlds operate in his films. They feel very, like he kind of has a signature ability to do that, even though kind of all of his films are so different. So actually the first two, like the first two hours of this movie, I was, I was sort of, I was not, I was like not thinking it was as great as his other films that I've seen and thinking it was like quite messy, but also acknowledging that he's was 28 and, you know, I'm 28. So <laughs> like, you know, we can't, we're not all PTAs. It's awesome that he's, he made this incredible kind of mess in a way, but it's, it's also not a mess. It is very tied, tied together, but I think, um, I don't know. I th- actually, I think I will say personally, I don't like, uh, like I don't really think it's my taste that um, the inter- like the storylines intertwining. I kind of find it a bit like silly or something, <laughs> like it, or it just a bit doesn't fully like it doesn't make me get feel really excited. It makes me think, oh, it's a bit clever. I don't know, and then. Yeah, and then the other thing is that I'm not, I feel like sometimes I can really love like highly stylized cinematography and, you know, melodramatic music. Then other times it just, I just find it really distracting. But I think I was impressed by this, the way that this film was kind of like one climax after another climax. I felt like the film, like there was just all these moments where things were lining up for each character and the symbolism of that and the those moments were really, I found that really, like I'd, I personally didn't always like, like that because that's kind of my taste, but I can really respect that this film is really original in that sense because it's a really unusual structure and yeah, but also, there's um, just some things I really did love about it, which is Tom Cruise's performance, which I thought was just, yeah, he, he's amazing. He's so scary in his conviction with this character. And I also really loved the storyline between um, John, John C. Riley's character and um, what's her name? Uh, Melora Walters. Yeah, Melora Walters, who is now, I'm super interested in her as an actor now after seeing this performance. I loved her performance. Mm. Mm. And her character and her, what she goes through was for me one of the most interesting parts. Yeah, I really, I wanted to talk about her specifically. Um, she, yeah, it's it's funny what you said, Meg, so I want to reflect on... Um, because I've seen this film a number of times and I remember I think the first time I I think I watched it when I was quite young and it didn't impress me that much and then the second time I watched it I was more drawn in by its chaos and but still not quite understanding what it was trying to do and I, I remember also feeling like the music was kind of too loud for me to like click into certain characters and I felt kind of thrown out of it. And I remember watching it the second time and going, I think I like it. I don't know if I like it. 
And I've developed a really strong relationship with the soundtrack. I, it's one of my most played albums. I listen to it all the time. So I feel like I'm always in this Magnolia world, just constantly. <laughs> and I, it's, it's, for me, it's an iconic soundtrack. Um, I adore Amy Mann. And I know that PTA adores Amy Mann and that he listened to this album and it was partly the inspiration for this story. Mm. Um, and I can really feel that, you know, Amy Mann's an incredible lyricist and mm -hmm. I can feel kind of her themes permeating through this film. But yeah, so I agree with you, Megs, that the chaos and the kind of style threw me out of it. But watching it a third time, I was really deeply moved. I was actually kind of felt, um, could see the emotionality and the, the, the sadness and loss. The mm -hmm. themes were really at the forefront when I watched it this time and how all these characters have a deep void of sadness and loss in them and how we move through time with a void but we can often not recognize each other's voids like how mm. a lot of people are deeply unhappy but we still can't recognize unhappiness in other people and what you said before George I also thought about and maybe we can discuss it a little bit more about um yeah uh, late 90s there was this zeitgeist about multi-narrative mm. but also about kind of the death of the American dream like kind of about you know you have like American beauty as you said like happiness um even fight club which is a multi-narrative but kind of about nothing is what it seems and and that you think that when you buy that car or when you have that good job that you'll be happy but really there's still a lot of sadness. Like it's a never ending pit of sadness and loneliness. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's funny how multi-narrative, maybe it's like has dated a little bit or, or mm. maybe it's because of the rise of television, how that's already naturally multi-narrative anyway. Um, but yeah, it seems, what do you think it was of that time that people were very interested in these multi-narrative films, but also I think really interested in um, kind of depression? Mm. Um, I don't know about that time specifically, but, but I do think this huge theme in, um, in Magnolia of regret is a is a really like resounding strong theme because I think and I think this film does it so well with all these like the music and the shots of like just those the faces like the you know the, the sad faces all the characters like in existential dread existential <laughs> existential dread existential Greg Greg, <laughs> Greg Abby um anyway <laughs> no um yeah I think I think it's, I don't know, I, yeah, I'm not sure, like, I don't know, I can't really speak to that time, mm. except that, yes, there's so many films from that time that do the multi-narrative thing. Mm. For me, Go is one that I love. Oh, um, but, um, yeah, I think regret is such a great theme for cinema because you really, and with, you know, with the human face, like with actors, 
you can really see the regret in the detail of a face and the mm -hmm. sadness. Mm -hmm. And I think that that film did this really well, like even with Tom Cruise's, you know, um, journey and mm -hmm. how his face <laughs> slowly changes. And Yes, and because he he's so, you know, I think it changes at that interview point where mm -hmm. she asks him all these personal questions and he's like, just sits it out. He's so prideful. He's like, I'm quietly judging you. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, because all of a sudden the, the you know, the, uh, the phallic nature that is Frank TJ Mackey starts crumbling down and the, the vulnerability of the man is exposed, um, mm. which is his biggest fear. It's funny how, um, you know, when he's getting prepped for the interview and he's like got his shirt off and he's like dancing. Oh. And I was thinking, oh, it's just like the Oprah interview. <laughs> <laughs> it's like he's playing himself. <laughs> oh. When he's jumping on the couch, he's so excited. Yes. Yeah. How good is that backflip that he does? Yeah, he's. Like what? <laughs> he's such, and it made me think about motivational speakers in general, how he's, his ideas are vile. Like he's a huge misogynist, but why am I still attracted to him? <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's like, and that's the thing with motivational speakers. It's not the content of what they're saying. It's their charisma. That is like this drug. And I think, mm. you know, Tom Cruise has such star quality, has star power. Like you can't turn away from him and his physique and him just, you know, saying respect the cock. <laughs> it's funny as well. Like I, my, <laughs> some of my obviously favorite scenes from Magnolia and there are many scenes, um, other ones with him because he's just yeah next level um but I was also feeling I was I feel like that not him because his performance is so awesome but maybe like the whole that whole seminar thing I found a little bit kind of dated as well away so how I don't know like I just I felt like maybe if it was not that it matters yeah um but it is that I just watched it now yeah. but if it was written now, it would maybe be kind of different. Like I think when that came, if that came, well, yeah, but even like, not, I'm not saying it was like too over the top or something or too inappropriate or, you know, mm -hmm. not PC enough or something. It just felt like maybe when that came out then, it would have been like quite exciting, like this kind of character. But I think now I'm kind of like more interested in like Tony Robbins, who like actually is a, is is a guru. Maybe I'm just not your guru. <laughs> oh yeah, but like maybe I'm just feeling having a thing with like movies, and I'm, mm. it's like interest. Like I love actors so much, and I love film, but also like the real deal is kind of more interesting. Yeah. Does okay. that make any sense? I don't know what I'm saying. Yeah, you're saying that. You... I feel though that. Tom Cruise is the real deal. Yeah. <laughs> I feel because he's, you know, he's a Scientologist and there's something in his eyes yeah. where you're like, you know, there's something cultish about you. 
Mm. And that's why I think his performance is so great because he's obviously acting and he's an incredible actor and he has great screen presence. He's a movie star. Mm. But he also has that, you know, that guru type become a part of my Scientology circle vibes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. No, definitely. And it's, it's so impressive. Yeah. His mm. performance. Yeah. That's probably I, what, what, you know, no doubt the reason he was kind of chosen for this role, partly. And I think his performance really does the film a lot of favors too, because it is so long. Yeah. But, and I, mm. but I, also, oh, sorry. <laughs> Philip, Philip Seymour Hoffman. Oh my God. R.I.P. R.I.P. I, I miss him. I was thinking that watching this and how as much as I think that Tom Cruise is a movie movie star with the same enthusiasm, I just love Philip Seymour Hoffman's face and I miss his face and I miss seeing him on the big screen and I'm still very cut up about his death um, because I think he's really missed and I think he's such an incredible actor and has so much humanity and empathy in Mm. every role he plays Mm. and um you know this this role is no exception getting (laughs) teary-eyed oh oh, totally no I I yeah his way the way that he like the humanity in his is in his acting is just like, because that character's not even that huge necessarily. Um, yeah, totally. But it's, it's totally. So, it is like, I, but also, yeah, every, it's kind of, it's like in Happiness, like that's an amazing film, but it's made so much more amazing because of his performance in that character. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um. So, yeah, I wanted, I, I'm so happy that you loved Claudia because I can't mm. get over her performance. Um, she, I feel, just watching this film a third time, I felt ingred- incredibly grateful that Claudia exists and I feel a real infinity for her narrative. Um, I know that Claudia was the first character that he wrote Mm. in this film so everything stems from her which I love um and that Mm. what inspired her was the Amy Mann line now that I've met you will you will you object to never seeing me again Mm. um she says that in the the romantic scene with John C. Riley, and I just She's a female archetype, like on the surface, she's like a restless coke addict. Um, But on a deeper level, she's a woman that thinks of herself as completely unlovable, has really, really low self-esteem and can't sit with herself. She can't bear her own identity. Um, And... And I think it's really powerfully portrayed and, you know, she's kind of sleeps around or whatever and kind of is, kind of wants to be left alone 
but is desperate for attention and falls in love, I feel like, with anyone that pays for the slightest bit of attention because there's such a huge void inside of her. And I think I love PTA's female characters. I love Claudia and I also love Alma in Phantom Thread. There's something about his touch with these characters that he's written that I feel are so specific, but I'm very grateful that they exist because I don't know, Claudia is someone like I've never seen on screen um, and how like how she's prepping for her date with Do John C. Riley, and she's like, just mm -hmm. did another line of Coke and she's just sitting on the couch, like crying. And it's like, I don't know, it's something about there's such a war going on inside of her. It's like, however hard she tries, she can't like act like a normal human being. And she feels like the only thing she has to offer is to be performative and interesting. And, and I just, my, one of my favorite, I have a few favorite scenes, but one of my favorite scenes is the scene between John C. Riley and her at the restaurant and how she says, she's like, can we just cut through all the piss and shit and just tell each other how we feel? And John C. Riley, I love him in this. He's hilarious. And he said to Paul Thomas Anderson that he never gets to play the romantic lead. And he, really play, he really wanted to play a romantic part. And <laughs> I, I think, love him. And I think he's so lovable in this. And so he's kind of the most earnest character in this film, I think. You know, he's a man of faith. And I think there's a bit where he's praying at the start and he's like, or he like puts an ad in for a girl that he wants to meet. And he's like, I want someone who's really relaxed <laughs> and I want someone who's like really knows themselves and then he like you know goes for the batshit crazy girl um, <laughs> but something about their connection I really I really like uh, because I do feel like they're cutting through the piss and shit um, and and it ends with her you know the last mm. shot is and what I wanted to add as well with Claudia's storyline is that, you know, why is she like that is because she is a sufferer of child sexual abuse. And a big theme of this film is child-parent relationships and how mm. you might want to be done with the past, but the past isn't done with you and how the past follows you and how it informs how you walk through everyday life. And I think you can really see that in Claudia's character. Like she is a sufferer of child sexual abuse and that informs her trauma today, how she struggles to connect with men. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Sorry for my Claudia rant. <laughs> I love it. No, she, yeah, she's, she's an amazing character and thank you for sharing about how she was written and everything. That's really cool. Um, yeah, I, yeah, I wanted to say too that I was sort of, was sort of just like, I was, wasn't hugely engaged in the film until the scene where Jimmy, her dad comes to her house and tries and tells her that he's, he's dying of cancer. And she's just like, get the fuck out of my house. <laughs> but it's, and then it just it just escalates and escalates and and also because this film is like 
is quite funny as well. Mm. And then there's like these moments of you're like, oh shit, that's a real, that's a scream, you know, right from the from yeah. the from the womb. Her expressions as well, like her facial expressions. Mm. She mm. I love her face so much. I have to say that she actually plays the mum from the butterfly effect, which is this, um, which is <laughs> this Ashton Kutcher. Yes, it kind of is. It's probably made around mm. the same time. Mm. Maybe, maybe not. I um, want to make a film just like Magnolia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but she she's actually really good in the butterfly effect. And also, I haven't seen it in years but I love the butterfly effect so just saying I do I I watched it when I was a teenager I can't remember it actually yeah but it's yeah she's she's also what I love about her too is that she isn't you know she isn't like a star in the way Julianne Moore is a star like she her presence on screen is very like different to someone like her I would say um you know like just it's yeah I just really appreciate seeing women who don't look like completely Hollywood perfect so true she has Mm. a damaged look which I love Mm. Mm. Um, yeah Mm. yeah um what was some other favorite moments or moments that you really disliked? Mm, well, I guess, I guess one of the major themes is about, co- you know, coincidence and, and fate. <clears throat> so what kind of coincidences did people notice in the film? So that was something I wasn't on board with, with the film. Yeah. I kind of was thinking... Do you think that was tacked on? Like the, the start and end seems almost tacked on in a way. to kind Yeah, of and I know that PTA has said in a Mark Maron interview that he personally thinks that the film is too long and that yeah. it's messy. Yeah. Um, but I kind of, I still love it and I still think it's a masterpiece because it's so... I find it really inspired. Like even if mm. some of these sequences, I'm like, like the start sequence, I've watched it several times and I'm still like, does that need to be in this film? But I guess uh, it's to help maybe guide the idea that to prime you that everything is connected in the film. Mm. But so what yeah. kind of, what, uh, what did you recognize as kind of fate or coincidence within the film? I do, so I don't I don't know if I agree with the coincidence because yeah. I I felt more that it was fate and yeah. that things play out the way that they should and that the past will catch up with you. You know, yeah. I think a big theme is regret mm. regret and that you know you have two dying men in this film. Yeah. Who look back on their life with discontent mm. and who are close to dying alone. Yeah. Really. Um, so it's that uh, your life choices, they, they make who you are, whether you like it or not. Um, so coincidence, I don't know, because I felt like in this film, everyone was kind of connected for a reason. Yeah. I didn't feel as if it was a coincidence. Mm. Did you judge? Well, no, I guess, like, 
that's what the film's asking is it coincidence or is it fate how people you know much like the magnificent movie butterfly effect <laughs> something in someone's life a small thing you know can can change have this rapid like yeah flow on effect all these other people and part of the like the fun of these films is figuring out how all the puzzle pieces connect you know how jimmy is connected to the the kid because it's the you know the the quiz show kid who's kind of connected to Donnie, which again is, you know, I really like William H. Macy in this and he played such a good, he plays such a good, like meager, pathetic character. And then, and the name Donnie is good as like a meager type person, (laughs) (laughs) you know, just as pathetic, but like he's connected to him through that. And then his daughter ends up going out with, is his name Jim, the, the police officer? Yeah, like Jim yeah. and Jimmy. It's like she's going out with her own dad almost, and then you know, there's mm. there's all these kind of connections, which are almost just fun to, mm. but but thematic uh, with the idea of fate and also the idea of the part. Like, I guess the main theme, picking up on it this time was like the how people deal with their past. Yeah. So how Tom Cruise chose to deal with it, he became a pickup artist, and you know, wrote the. <laughs> Not just a big artist. <laughs> and then um, who else? Like, so, yeah, Julianne Moore, get, you know, she takes all these pills. Yeah, yeah let's but... talk about Julianne Moore a little bit. Yeah. I, yeah. I, like, I'm totally, like, in love with her. But, and I did like the scene in The Chemist where she yells at the chemist and stuff. Um, but I don't know, like, Found it a little bit 2D, maybe. Yeah. I... Mm, she was, yeah, I remember not liking her performance mm. the second time I watched it, but I enjoyed her performance a lot more. I'm looking at you right now, Megs, and you're, like, giving off Julianne more glows. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God, please. Yeah, she's so, I, <laughs> I love her costume design in that. Oh, my God, her, yeah. Her hair and her beautiful nails and her, like, sexy fur coat. Um, mm. And she, she is really of that time and also of the valley, but maybe a little too sophisticated for the valley. Um, mm. I, I enjoyed her performance a lot more this time because I kind of could see that uh, PTA was playing with that trope of, like the uh, the trophy wife and that hmm. there's more to her and I, I kind of appreciated the narrative of that she kind of reveals that she only got with him because of his money and that she was cheating on him but that now that he's dying I and mean, I guess they've been together for a while she really loves him but my chemi- the chemist scene is one of um, one of my favorite scenes in the film as well I just love how I just I think like how hysterical she is <laughs> in it and I feel also that the pressure of that situation you do always feel really judged mm. and I love how she just vocalizes that <laughs> you better mind your own fucking business I'm gonna take as many Kills as I well please. <laughs> I want to fucking kill myself. It's none of your goddamn business. Fuck <laughs> yeah. out of my pill cabinet. What's you know? that line she says to um to her lawyer? And she was like, "I sucked so many cocks or something like <laughs> yeah. that." I know. And the way she kind of says, 
the word is just kind of satisfying. Oh yeah, she's she's <laughs> hilarious. Like she's one of those ones who can be really funny and then like really deep. Like yeah. somehow at once. It's so awesome. Mm. But I do agree. Sometimes with these, you know, multi-person films, there's a few not duds, but almost you could sense <laughs> that it was like one or two scenes. Like he thought of the chemist scene, but yeah, fuck, fuck yeah, this is gonna be awesome. And then he had to kind of extend it. And when it's such a long movie, you're like, just drop that, you know, like, do you need as much backstory as you have on her? Almost like one or two scenes could yeah. have been enough. And then to, try, mm. to kind of extend it out. Mm. And then also thinking there's other, like you said, what aspects didn't we like? One part that I thought was a bit weird was like the mystical rapping kid, you know? Yeah. <laughs> he was a bit I too actually... like whimsical or something. He's like, yo, man, I just told you the murder. <laughs> He's like coming. He's lady, like, lady. Wait, did, did they, do you ever find out who did murder that guy? Uh, I have no idea. I just yeah. remember. You do? No, I don't, I don't know. John C. Riley being funny. He's like, cool it, Coolio. Yeah, <laughs> cool it, Coolio, yeah. He's <laughs> like, watch it with the language. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's great. And his glasses at the start were super Yeah, yeah oh. he's, he's very funny in it. There's that really cute line. I wrote it down because it's so cute. Um, when they're just getting to know each other, him and Claudia, and, he's, and she's clicking her jaw. And he's like, yeah. and she's like, yeah. You know, he goes, why don't they just call it a clicking jaw? You know, because <laughs> yeah, it's was... got some fancy medical term yeah. for her jaw clicking. And that was funny. I swear, like, who doesn't want to cuddle from John C. Riley? Oh, <laughs> definitely want to cuddle from him. And I love the first scene when they're meeting and he's like, the music's really loud. And she's like, really? I didn't notice. That is the first sign of hearing loss. <laughs> <laughs> so and, good. And he's like, suddenly he's like, You've got a boyfriend. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, that was funny. Very funny. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, I thought, I, yeah, okay. I was just going to say, I think all the, you know, the themes of like how the way of um, having, you know, these multi-person stories can just be like a clever conceit, but I guess it can also, by presenting different people with similar, like contrasting different people with similar issues you can see how the variety of ways people deal with things and all you know there was the idea of finding love which Tom Cruise does by conquering the cunt or whatever he says and then John C. <laughs> Riley, you know he has his own almost pick up attitude which is like he's kind of bumbling his way through it and then mm. you know so it's all these it's interesting just to see how different people react to similar situations within um within the film mm. um, yeah and obviously we're talking before about the past and I'm just trying to kind of get this idea straight in my brain but it seems like most of the characters you have a real sense of where they came from and how their past has influenced them except for John C. Riley and and um, Philip Seymour Hoffman who kind of play the role of almost not like they um, like for, like forgiveness or they play the role mm. of letting people deal with their trauma and, because you don't ever yeah. know the past of John C. Riley and you don't ever know the past of Philip Seymour Hoffman. But a little it, bit of other, John C. Riley. Yeah. About how he just got divorced. Oh, that's true. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. But they don't seem as dogged down by like these, you know, um, mm. part, 
their past. Like even um, when they're kind of confessing to each other at the bar, his kind of confession is that he lost his gun and it feels like a real, a real loser. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think, yeah, I, sh- I want to say too, I love, I do love how Paul Thomas Anderson, like the way he sets up his worlds and the kind of the metaphors and the visuals and the things that play out. Like it's all very psychological, but it's always super interesting and mm. very um, like he, you know, does that kind of has that ability to make it like co- really commercially interesting as well as there's all this interesting stuff going on underneath. Mm. Mm, totally. I was thinking about that with Paul Thomas Anderson, how he really appeals to both the mainstream as well as he has a lot of art house integrity. Like, I think he's one of the few directors that can really, he's got his fingers in all of the pies. Um, And I appreciate him for that. And I think because he's a very, (laughs) he's a very um, emotional filmmaker, I find. Like, he's very, I really got the sense that he loved these characters. And I really felt Mm -hmm. that watching it this time. Mm. I really felt like he loved their emotional journeys. Um, and I really appreciate that because that's why I watch a film is to empathise with people and to... I watch films for the humanity. <laughs> but it's, it's, it is hard sometimes when the filmmaker loves the characters maybe more than... More than <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not, yeah. not that I got fully that sense from this film, but there's a couple of parts where it's like... Um, yeah. Yes. It's a bit, what you said, George, is so right. And um, it's such a self-indulgent film. Yeah, and I, in, I, a good way. Yeah. In, a, in a good George way. In a and good I way. think, um, yeah. you know, I was watching some interviews with him and he's like this 28-year-old genius and he's so <laughs> cocky. He's so yeah. brash. He's so, like, he just made fucking Boogie Nights and everyone's sucking his dick and he gets to make the film that he wants to make. Yeah. yeah. Everyone's dream it's like make whatever the fuck you want. Yeah. And he is probably one of the few that got to do that. Of course he's going to have this huge this big head. Yeah. But for some reason I I I still found him lovable in these interviews. Something about that childlike inspiration and him just being mm. really excited to just make a great film. Mm. Um I really appreciate. And yeah. And- what about Izzy? What about like the screenplay? Because it's very unusual. Yes. And you know, sometimes you're like, "Fuck that! Fuck that!" with the unusual. Because what do you mean? <laughs> well, like if the script is like, to try, you know, like not adhering to things that that it should to make it work. Obviously, you adore this movie. So, like, and it's a very strange script. So, like, how does that work for you, if that makes sense? I think, though, as much as I can be a bit of a script nerd, for me, the emotional impact of a film will always trump me technically analysing a script because I think if I'm on board, I'm on board and I don't have to analyse it too much. And for this film, I was just on board. I can... Sometimes you can't, I think because of PTA's emotionality, I love that he uses a lot of vulgar language. (laughs) I just, I don't know, there's something about this film that 
I can't even fully explain why I love this film so much, but maybe it's partly also the soundtrack. Like I'm just a huge mm. Nan fan um, and I just get like when her songs would come on, I'd just be, feel a pop. Oh, I know. I she's the greatest. Um, so in a sense, maybe it's just really tapping into my particular taste. And I think certain people nerd out on films and I feel like I nerd out on Magnolia. Yeah. And I think that's the best film experience ever when you can't really explain why, mm. exactly why, because it's just like floating up there in the, yeah, you know, in the dreamy kind of inspired space. Mm. I think if I dislike a film, I can uh, technically unpack it a little bit more. Um, yeah, I want to talk about one of my other favourite scenes, which is, surprise, surprise, another scene about P. <laughs> is, um, <clears throat> I love those peeing scenes. Well, I can't it, remember another movie. Oh, oh the, the, okay. Sorry, yeah, go Yeah, it's about the little boy, Stanley, who really needs to go to the bathroom. Mm. Won't let him go to the bathroom. And he's this wonder child this. Mm. and I love I love that little boy I think he's a great actor and he has such vulnerability in this role um and I know that that scene or that storyline was based on Fiona Apple um yeah they Fiona Apple is probably one of my favorite artists of all time don't know if I'd still be alive if, <laughs> if it wasn't for her music um, but yeah, I think because PTA and Fiona Apple were going out during the making of this film, and I think um, Fiona Apple was is, was obviously at this time they were like a pretty hot couple, and I think at this time she was doing a lot of music interviews, and I don't think she wet herself, but they just wouldn't let her go to the bathroom or when she was doing this certain mm-hmm. music interview and. Um, you know, a similar thing with the little boy. And then when he, what I loved about that scene is that Jimmy, who's the host, is knows that he's dying of cancer and is going through his own grief and regret and bullshit. And how Stanley, they're almost like energetically on the same level in that he's going through this type of public humiliation of peeing himself, but they they completely don't understand where each other's where each other are coming from, um, and how people can be depressed but can't necessarily recognize it or help another person that's also depressed or that's also going through difficult things because of circumstance or whatever. Um, but I just love the awkward moment of when he wets himself and no one even gives a shit. His father is like, you're still going to go up there and you're still going to like have all the right answers because I need to pay my mortgage. (laughs) Um, and, um, that he kind of flips out and is like the little boy and kind of says, you know, you always want me to have the answers. Maybe I don't have the answers and maybe I don't want to go up there and, it reminded me of the Fiona Apple classic um, speech of Go With Yourself, um, the MTV Music Awards. 
saying the world's bullshit. Yeah, that's what the scene reminded me of. Oh, really? How, how did it remind you of that particular speech? Um, because the boy is sitting in humiliation and vulnerability and has to speak and say, and he's kind of confronting, you know, it's on television as well, mm-hmm. kind of incredibly earnest, the little boy and confronting this television host and saying, you know, you want me to be someone I don't want to be. I don't want to go up there. I don't want to give the answers. I don't want to, I don't want you to push me. I don't want you to, yeah. So I could see a kind of a mirroring um, of her and this little boy. Yeah, that's so cool. Like, I love, I love the way with screenwriting, you can take experiences from your life and write them into different characters and it not be so you know not be like this obvious character that's you know modeling some real life person but it just weaves in Mm. like say with Mm. Fiona Apple and and him Mm. um that's oh that's so that's so great yeah I love PTA is a great one to kind of look at the trivia around yeah yeah um yeah, it's a... there's a few scenes because it's actually sprawling film. We probably have missed like a lot, but like the big thing is the frogs. So yes, we have to talk about the frogs. We have to talk about the frogs. Yeah, still don't get it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah I. But I, I love. But I love it. I think it's more just like some freak weather event, like, and that's probably why that start part is there, maybe. Uh-huh. To mm. a freak event that is outside of your control that can have big consequences for your life. So, like, you know, at the start, there was a guy who, the scuba diver who was scooped up by the plane. And, and you know, there have been, uh, I don't know how true or false it is, but instances of frogs falling from the sky when there's been extreme weather like tornadoes. And then frogs sometimes or other things will fall from the sky. So I think it's meant to just be... I don't know if it has significance like some other like symbol, but to me it just came across as like some freak event that's unexpected and outside of your control that can just completely change these key moments in your life. Like the guy who's going to commit suicide, Jimmy was didn't do it, and, um, mm. and William H Macy's character and John C Riley's character. So that's that's kind of. To me, that that's what it came across as, and it's like just such a crazy visual. I loved all the frogs falling, and you know, PTA mm. like, oh, film these all these frogs. <laughs> yeah. And- <laughs> yeah. It yeah. Um, and then with the William H Macy character, how he falls down and he kind of breaks his teeth, so then he actually has to get braces. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. yeah. And there's like a lot of kind that of that bit's really funny actually when the like, frog hits yeah. him in the face. And there was a lot of cute kind of coincidental things like that that but it wasn't too or maybe it was for some people but it wasn't too clever like mm. I guess I guess it is but maybe what you're saying is is that there's a strong emotional core to the film so these kind of clever little coincidences like they're always commenting on oh it's raining outside yeah it's ra-. it doesn't come across <laughs> as too yeah. as too cutesy you know for, for me yeah. there's like like a lot of like maybe an M. Night Shyamalan movie, <laughs> you know, the water, we, we're drinking water and the end, you know, the water is the, 
the thing in, the, in this they're, they're always commenting on the rain and then it turns out these frogs are quite important but I don't know I thought it was cool mm. <laughs> and I don't I think guess. they had real like symbol necessarily like it wasn't like frogs represent fertility and they're all fertile. <laughs> <laughs> like it was more just like some crazy it could have been like a hurricane sort of frog orgy yeah yeah it could have been like some crazy hurricane but I think you know that the frogs were just way more dramatic and more absurdist like the film i don't know what mm. did everyone else kind of think about the frogs yeah i enjoyed i enjoyed kind of the cathartic element mm. of the frogs yeah um <laughs> but and just the visual i don't know yeah yeah the whole movie's so strange that you yeah you kind of it kind of works you know yeah it's all good um, so star star rating maybe? Do you guys want to give a star rating? Well, firstly, I just want to quickly finish by some coincidences I noticed in the film. Oh, cool. Firstly, drinking. They always notice they're drinking something. You know, William H. Macy has his coffee. The, the Jimmy's always drinking some, you know, um, whiskey. And, I, and again, it wasn't so obvious that it was like a cut with one person drinking and then the other person's drinking. But I just noticed that. And Tom Cruise is having his coffee like give me my coffee you know <laughs> so everyone's always has some weird drink and and she's um smoke, snorting coke obviously claudia and william h macy is like getting wasted at the bar with that the, the side mm. character is pretty funny that like older camp man <laughs> who's who's oh, stuff to he was him. great he was great and brad the bartender Oh, Brad was. Oh, that's one Brad thing. Was such too. a funny film as well for, for, yeah it's hilarious yeah, yeah. Okay, so um, drinking. Um, what else do I have? PTA. Oh yeah, PTA. When he, uh, when Jimmy announces the show, he goes, "Brought to you by PTA." It's like, oh, does he mean you know Paul Thomas Anderson? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, now, it was parent teacher. I know, like America. Or that's something. coincidence, Megs. Okay. You know, everything's is a coincidence because at the start it was you know the Greensbury Bush or whatever it was, the three names Greensbury. Now. I'm stretching it even further here. Sims, Miss Sims. Mm. Caretaker, The Sims, the video game. I check this, was released in in 2000 and Magnolia's was released in 2000 in Australia. Uh, So the coincidence. And also 2000 was the score on the kids' uh, scoreboard. Mm. And 2000 was predicted to be the end of the world as well, around 1990. Mm. Yeah. How does that relate to the movie, though? It's just coincidence, Meg. (laughs) Doing, like, my room 43 analysis of it. So 2000. That that was the time the film came out. Uh, And the last thing is Louise. The character's name was Louise at at the quiz show, and that's Louise Guzman. Mm, love yes. him. Do you think that was supposed to be him playing? Yeah, him? it is. It is. I saw that on the IMDb. Oh, he's, cool. He's, uh, credited as himself, yeah. Oh, that's funny. Okay, that's cool. Mm. Hey, some coincidences pay off. So why why, why was that choice made? You have to, we have to get uh, Paul Thomas Anderson on the line right now to answer that burning question for us. <laughs> Maybe he's us. I know all the dairy, dairy. Give me any dairy question. I can get that. Dairy question. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Anyway, that was fun. And his drink was uh, milk with ice. So the drink theme carries uh, through. You know, he wanted milk, light milk with ice. Yeah, anyway. you can just imagine PTA writing all this fucking random shit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
yeah having a ball yeah and i think i do even though that's kind of like lame that a kind of analysis with the idea of coincidence it's hard for a film to get that across because um the director's in control of everything so it's interesting to see where stuff just pops up and you make your own associations in like a film like a crazy chaotic film like this yeah so that's my 10 cents so Megzi, score scores you're saying mm. uh, i'm i'm moving between four and three and a half <clears throat> out of five yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> awkward no no not at all um i think i'll go i feel like if i went four it would be because it's like a great movie but three and a half is more like true to my go soul with your gut. Mm. yeah go with your gut <laughs> go with your, go with yourself <laughs> exactly <laughs> so good okay izzy i'm gonna get four and a half. Ooh, mm, i love this film I have a real soft spot for it. Um, and I want to, I, it's one of those films that I just, I've watched it and I don't want to watch it again. Mm. Mm. Yeah. It's like kind of addictive. That's so cool. Mm. Yeah. I like, I, I think I'd give it four, four stars. <clears throat> yeah. Mm. What I wanted to ask you guys, this is kind of a, I don't know the answer to this, but I'm curious about this. And um, about the psychology of Frank, of Tom Cruise's character and how obviously he is um, obsessed with picking up women and obsessed with just sex um, and that he grew up without like a male figure in his life and that he uh, witnessed his mother dying from cancer and how that was obviously quite traumatic for him and how, how what's the psychology around how that would impact his kind of misogyny maybe well i thought i thought his character <laughs> was so um his character was so over the top i guess that i didn't didn't fully buy his kind of Breakdown. As much as I love that scene where he's crying and like, I'm not gonna. How do you like this cocksucker? You know, talking to his dad. But I, I don't know. Maybe it was too simplistic in a way. Like the the misogynist who has a broken home life and he's really broken himself. I, I don't know if I fully, fully brought that. Maybe because I didn't see him as a fully three dimensional character. I did kind of see mm. him as more a fun. That's true. Archetype, you know. And maybe it does, maybe it's what makes you were saying and, and that maybe I have seen a few of these types of characters like in Donnie Darko with uh, his character and stuff, these, bro- <laughs> these inspirational speakers, although he's not really inspirational, Tom Cruise, but these speakers who are- Oh, the- he's inspiring those yeah. men. He's, <laughs> he's inspiring, inspiring those men <laughs> to get some. Yeah, <laughs> that are really, you know, they're telling people advice, but they're broken themselves. So maybe I didn't quite <laughs> buy that part about it, but- Yeah, I- I think, I don't know, for, yeah, for me, I kind of found his, even though I thought I was like, wow, I love mm. you, Tom Cruise. I was pretty, <laughs> like, like I also found, like, him for the most part, like, just kind of funny. So I also wasn't, I didn't feel like the way, yeah, I wasn't that 
um, emotionally invested when he sees his dad and stuff. Mm. Um, but, yeah, I think, um, you know, if you, yeah, I think that, I think it's, I still think it's a good, like the what his character goes through and you find out his backstory. I think that all works really well because, yeah, he's such a misogynist and like so far, you know, so far gone. Yeah. That he's, you know, teaching other men how to rape women basically. Um, <laughs> and like, yeah, you can see, <laughs> I guess you can see that there's some daddy issues. Yeah. Mm, or mummy issues. Or mummy oh, issues. Sure. Yeah. Both. Yeah. Mm. What did you think is his psychology? Great chat, guys. <laughs> what did you think about his psychology is since you you just <laughs> oh no, that's broken up. Okay, so this is currently frozen. Okay, are you back? Yeah. Okay, so yeah. Um, all right. So did anybody watch anything they want to chat about? Like just briefly from the week? No, I think I think it's been a long Magnolia length episode. So I think we might end it there. Um, what about I didn't watch too I only watched Magnolia actually this week. I've been I guess because lock, uh, lockdown lifting, been a bit more focused on the real world, which has been sad. <laughs> yeah. I am um... kind of like I want to be in my movie cave again, where I watch one movie a night. But now I have to socialize again. No, it's been good. <laughs> um, yeah, George. Um, did I watch anything? I don't. I'm trying to think. Uh, Meg, there you go. I'll try to think. Well, we watched Honey Boy last oh, night, yeah. which we won't maybe get into too much because we've been recording for a while. But um, we both really loved it. Oh, I love that film too. Yeah. It's really recommend everyone go and see it wherever it is. It's a beautiful, also about um, parent, parent-child trauma relationships yeah yeah it's really really interesting personal film written by Shia LaBeouf starring him about his life um (laughs) also I want to say uh I really enjoyed watching SBS's Addiction Australia it's not a film but it's on SBS at the moment it's a new series filmed in Melbourne about people who are recovering from addictions Um, they're part of this program and there's already one episode out and it's just really vulnerable really raw really authentic and um I think it like is an important thing to watch in kind of um reducing stigma and like getting more understanding of people who have addiction so I would recommend that Mm, sounds great (laughs) <laughs> I said that in an unconvincing way, but I mean it. <laughs> George, George is choosing for next week. Oh, yes. yes. Ooh, I'm excited. Okay, next week's film is Dick Johnson is Dead. Oh, that's the new, is that the new documentary by Camera Person? Yeah. Oh, what? Yeah. I love Camera Person. Okay, that's exciting. Great, can't wait. 
Oh. So cool. Well, that's it for Meezy. Okay, that's it for episode two of Film Club. Thank you, Isabel. Thank you, George. And Thanks, guys. Thank you, thank, thank you, everyone, for listening. And we'll see you next week. Okay. Bye. 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 Are you going to say bye, Izzy? Oh, bye. <laughs> <laughs> okay. On the 1st of May, we celebrate B-Day. <laughs>